morning we are going to be in Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 13 um, through chapter 4, verse 11. And if you don't have a Bible at home, there should be a blue or a white one in the pew back in front of you. That is our gift to you. We want you to take it and make 2020 the year that you fall in love with God's Word. So take that with you as our gift to you. Um, When I am finished reading... I will say this is the word of the Lord because this is the word of the Lord. And because we're so grateful that we have the word of the Lord, you will respond with thanks be to God. Chapter 3, verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, Westside. We are glad that you're here today um, as we celebrate during this Epiphany season and as we celebrate um, people being baptized today. And so historically, when we look uh, through the church calendar, this is the day that the church has historically um, celebrated Jesus' baptism. And so you know it's about to get crazy serious when you see a whiteboard come out, right? We're going to get into conspiracy theories today and everything. No, I'm just teasing. Um, So just a quick bit of review. What epiphany means um, is is a revelation, if you will. And, And we said that the season of epiphany shows us that God is like Jesus, that's, that's a big deal. We, we learned last week and sort of did some deconstruction and said that when we think of God, um, there are some images that pop in our mind, the demanding judge, the doting grandfather, and those type of things. And naturally left to our own devices, um, one of the most dangerous sentences that you can hear floating around a church is, well, I think God is like blank. Because we learned that the authority in that statement is I. I think God is like. But what we're learning in the season of Epiphany is is that Jesus shows us what God is like. That it's the perfect revelation. And so we see this in cards sort of like, if you will, the aha moment, right? And so historically on this Sunday, the church has looked at the baptism of Jesus because we see some serious revelation as to who Jesus is. And actually, historically, when you look back upon the church, 
Um, Jesus' baptism was one of the first scenes that we see in Scripture and some of the earliest artwork of early Christianity that we have. It's that big of a deal. All four Gospels, uh, the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all record Jesus' baptism. John mentions and talks about Jesus' baptism. The New Testament repeatedly refers to Jesus' baptism. It is a big, big deal. And so why is it such a big deal? Well, we had a lot of scripture read to you today. And, and, and by the way, if it's your first time here and you're like, they read too much Bible, that's great. We'll take that as a compliment. All right. We love that. All right. Um, what we see is not only Jesus's baptism, but also Jesus's temptation that every synoptic gospel records the baptism of Christ and then immediately following, as Mark's gospel would say, Jesus is driven into the wilderness and we see this great temptation that takes place. I think we do ourselves a disservice when we only read Jesus' baptism and separate it from his temptation, for the gospel writers don't even want us to do that. And so what I want to do today is I want to put these two scenes side by side. And that's why your notes are a little bit different today. Today is going to be a little bit interactive. And what I want to do is I want to compare and contrast these events and see what God has for us in both of these situations. Those are some baller circles that I just drew, I feel like. I don't know. feel pretty good. It's going to be a great day, all right? And also, by the way, um, if you know anything about me, I'm about to spell in front of a room full of people, Okay. Um, I would rather teach to 10,000 people than to spell in a room full of 10. Um, I am hooked on phonics, all right? So the grace that I will be preaching about today is also the grace that I need when we come to this, all right? So listen, when we look at Matthew chapter 3 in this circle, and over here we have Matthew chapter 4 in the temptation, I want to look at these side by side, just, just as a quick example. Um, Let's say the action. What's taking place? There's something taking place in both of these. Over here we have baptism. That's cool. But then over here the action is a battle. Do you see? Why, why, why would that happen? We just had a nice baptism, right? And then, which is funny, because that's the little word See, we believe that every word in Scripture is inspired by God. And this one little then joins it all together. So we have this baptism, then we have a battle. But I mean, even think about the elements, what's taking place. Here in the baptism, it's filled with water, right? And then Jesus is driven into what? The wilderness, which is what we would know as the desert, is what's taking place there. So it's not just um, those things, but also how about this? We, we have the Spirit of God, right? And here we have the Spirit of God resting in the form of a dove. I love Mark's gospel. It says that the heavens were ripped open and that the Spirit descended in the form of a dove. But over here, we have the Spirit leading. Do you see that right there in the first verse of Matthew 4? Right? Like, uh, the Spirit led him in the wilderness to be tempted? Excuse me. I love, we could preach a whole sermon on that. You know, like we love songs, right? Spirit, lead me where your trust is without board. We love that in the car. On the way to work, we're like, worship, right? Until the Spirit leads you. Right? What's going on in my life? Well, God's like, I thought you were just singing, like, lead me, right? 
See, we think, oh, the Spirit of God, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, woohoo, right? How about desert? <laughs> but listen, if, if you're a believer in here today and you feel like you're in the desert, Jesus was. You see, what, what, what's God showing us about this? And then, and then we really dive in. Um, there's a voice that's taking place in both of these scenes. Um, in, in baptism, we see the voice from heaven, right? This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. It is an audible voice. It is a public voice. Everybody around heard this voice. It is a big deal. This is a scene that we're going to get into in a minute where we see God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There's a lot taking place here. In the temptation, though, we have a voice from hell speaking to Jesus, the great tempter. For the devil is in the wilderness. It's like uh, the showdown. This is just the way my mind works. It, maybe it's a spiritual gift. I don't know. But I picture the scene in Matthew 4 just like the scene in Tombstone, like I'm your huckleberry. <laughs> right? Like It's like he walks in and then like, I thought that, that's Doc Holliday. I didn't know that was going to be Doc, right? And it's this scene. It is a showdown. But, but what are the words that are speaking through these um, voices, right? Well, in Jesus' baptism, I see words of affirmation. This is who you are. You are my son. Identity. This is who you are. You are my son, and I am well pleased. It's not just affirmation, but it's also affection. By the way, is, is, is this your image of God? If, if you could picture right now God speaking to you, you would probably think that God is saying, um, here's some stuff you need to work on. Hey, um, here's some things that you need to get in order in order for my love to pass from me to you. That's probably what we would say. Not what we see in this passage. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Have you ever thought of God saying, Please, I'm pleased, Right? Those are those words. But what about over here um, in the temptation? I see words of doubt. You see it? It's just right there. The devil says it three times in Luke's gospel. If you're the son of God. I'm sorry, come again? If you're the son of God. Well, I thought that we just had an audible voice from heaven <laughs> say publicly, this is my beloved son. You see, it's, it's, it's the same scene that we see from Genesis 3. Like, we know the enemy's playbook. And when I turn on the news and I see the arguments against Christianity, I'm exhausted to my core about this. Did God really say? Oh, I've heard that before. Well, did that really mean what it meant? Well, is this really what this says? Um, newsflash, yes. Yes, right? It's just, it's subtle suggestions and we think the attack on our life from the enemy, like we think like the devil's going to knock on our door with like a bag of black tar heroin and be like, I'm here to tempt you today, right? Like, oh man, this is serious. No, it doesn't look anything like that. Just a little simple suggestion constantly over time. Do you see how many times he says it to Jesus? If you're the son of God, if you're the son of God. It, what was that like? What was that like for Christ? So tired, so weary, fasting. And then like the third time he heard it, was it just this, this just gasp? Like, oh, I know, I know, I know. It's not just doubt, but it's also distortion. 
right? Um, interesting that the devil quotes scripture. Wow, right? By the way, how does Jesus answer? For it is written. And so just, just, just real quick advice. Um, you think you can get through your week without reading God's word. Um, Jesus needed that. That's a pretty big deal, right? But, it, but, but it's scripture that's, that's distorted. Like it's quoted and we go back in Genesis and he did the same thing, right? Did God really say, and then confuses Adam and Eve. And so we see these doubts and then distortion that continues to take place. But what about um, like emotions? We see emotions in the text. God's teaching me a lot about emotional health and how emotionally unhealthy I am as an individual. So it's just confessions here today, all right? Um, but what we see over here in the baptism and emotions is, is we see like contentment. We see like it's pleasing. There's, there's this synergy that's taking place within the text. But then when we go into the temptation, it is conflict. We see this, these challenges, this exclamation points in your English translation of the scripture. We see um, tiredness. We see all of that that's taking place. Or how about this? People. What people do we have in the text? Well, over here's a significant moment. Um, we have intimacy. We have what is historically known in the church as the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We have a community that's taking place. I mean, this is sort of a peek behind the curtain, if you will, into the cosmos of the same spirit that hovered over the waters in the beginning of creation, right? And it says that the spirit, and in the Hebrew translations, almost fluttered like a dove. And then we have a voice speaking, and we have all of this taking place again at Jesus' baptism. This is significant for us. But then when we get over here, we don't have intimacy. We have isolation. We have Christ in the desert being tempted. But there's two main thrusts in the compare and contrast that I want you to see. And then we're going to boil this down as to what this means for us in our life. The first thing that I see at play is, on the majority, is that there are kingdoms at play here. There's this scene where um, Jesus is coming down to the waters to be baptized by John, right? John the baptizer is there. And remember him, he's the crazy guy who's in the desert wearing camel's hair, eating locusts and honey. He was like paleo before you CrossFitters ever thought it was cool, okay? John the Baptist did that stuff, all right? And he's baptizing, and he's preparing the way for the Lord. It's a baptism of repentance and renewal. John sees Jesus coming and is like, Jesus like starts to get in the water, and John's like, whoa, 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 buddy, this, um, this is different. You, in John's gospel, he says, um, behold the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. What did John have? Epiphany, a revelation of Christ. And John says, no, 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 no. I'm not baptizing you, bro. You, the bro's in the Greek. It's in the other translations. And Jesus goes, no, no, no. And then Jesus says this phrase, thus is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. Um, that's about as clear as mud. Thanks, Jesus. That really clears things up, right? Righteousness. So, so if John is baptizing for repentance, question, does Jesus need to repent of anything? Um, no. Hebrews tells us that he was tempted in every way, but yet without sin. We believe that about Christ, that he is the perfect lamb of God without sin. So what Jesus is doing then is Jesus is identifying with people. Jesus is identifying with people who need to repent of sin. 
You see, Jesus is the perfect Adam, if you will, in our place and our representation. So this is a kingdom, ultimately what we'll see later on, sacrifice. This is a substitution here. Thus for it to be fulfilling, to fulfill all righteousness of all right standing. But then when we cross over to the temptation, we see that um, scene that involves like the Lambert's rolls. Do you see that there, right? Jesus is hungry. It's been 40 days, 40 nights. And the enemy's like, hey, um, here's some stones. You could probably turn those into bread. What? Why is that a big deal? Um, here's what he's saying. Why don't you use your power for yourself? Because these people don't get it. And if you don't take care of you, then who will take care of you? And what you need to do is you need to use this to serve your self. I see a kingdom of sacrifice. I see a kingdom of selfishness. And by the way, let's get real controversial at the 11, and this is great, and it'll offend you probably, but welcome to West Side. Um, the difference in the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of the earth is we see when Jesus speaks to Caesar, of a Pilate, I'm, I'm sorry, rather, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. Well, why? What's different about your kingdom, Jesus, than kingdoms of the world? The kingdom of God is the only kingdom in the world that does not use the sword to advance the kingdom, but rather absorbs it. And so what we need in this world is not another example of power. That is not what is attractive about Christ. What is, what is so attractive about Christ is that he is the only king who absorbs the blow in the place of sinners. That it says that on the cross that he had the power to call down 10,000 leagues of angels. Let's bridge the context of that to your life. Hey, listen, look up here. You might be right you might be right in the situation. And guess what? You might have all the authority to prove your rightness. But I have a question for you. Do you want to make a point or do you want to make a difference? You can make a point and you can be right and you can slam that chair down and you can slide it and you can walk away from the table and be right. And all you've got is your rightness. But I'm telling you, when we look at the kingdom of God, we see that humility always wins. It always wins. So in every relationship, we're battling the kingdom of, of sacrifice or the kingdom of selfishness. But what we see more than anything that takes place in both of these scenes is this. There's identity. Identity is happening. Over here, we see an identity. I before E, except after C. And like 7,000 other words. Are you kidding me, right? Um, newsflash, what has Jesus done up in this point into his ministry? Um, nothing. <laughs> no miracle. Nothing. He got lost one time in the home alone scene at the temple with his parents. Like, imagine that, right? We lost God. No, right? Um, there's no miracle. Nothing has happened. But God says that he's pleased. Why is that a big deal? Um, because we believe as Christians that you don't earn your identity. You receive it. That's what's so radical about it. That's what's so crazy about this news, right? This news is that it's nothing that you have done, but it's something that God grants and gives. But that's not how the enemy works. 
the enemy says, um, hey, why don't you achieve this? Hey, why don't you throw yourself off a building? Because it says in the Psalms that it will command his angels concerning you. Um, prove your worth. Because around here, nothing, nobody gets nothing for free. So what you need to do is you need to earn who you are. That is a lie from the pit of hell. And one that we see that was even used against Jesus. So when we look at the baptism of Christ and the temptation, we see all of this taking place. What does this mean for us in our life? Well, I think the first thing that we see overarching is this, is that we see a rhythm. There's so much that's happening in both of these passages, right? And you have to be a little bit familiar with your Bible to understand, but we have the Jordan River. We have um, 40 days and 40 nights. We have a temptation that's taking place. We have an enemy. Um, the people of Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because they were an unbelieving generation. And you know what's crazy? There's this scene in Numbers where they're like, um, here's how it went. They were like, God, get us out of Egypt. We don't want to be here. And God gets them out of Egypt. And they're like, we want to go back to Egypt. This is tough out here. This is difficult. And they murmur and complain. You know what God does? He opens up the ground and swallows like half of them. And I've prayed for that gift as a pastor. And I'm just like, okay, right. And we see that Israel then has to pass through the waters of the Jordan in order to go into the land that God has promised. What do we see? We see that Jesus is passing all the tests that the people of Israel failed. The Apostle Paul would say in 1 Corinthians that what happened and what was written down in the former days is to teach us. Here's what I'm saying. This grand story that God is writing, the climax of it is Jesus. It's always Jesus where Adam failed in the garden and gave in to the temptation. What we see is the new Adam, that Jesus passes this temptation. When we see in the, in the first creation of the Spirit hovering and God speaking, we see a new creation where God's speaking and the Spirit hovering over Jesus. This is the good news. It's a rhythm. And also, if you feel this way, if you've passed through the waters of baptism and, and you feel that these elements are taking place in your life over here, it's okay. Because this is a story. And what we see is ourself in this as well, but yet Jesus passes everywhere that we fail. That the climax of God's story is always Jesus. The second thing that I see is this, is I see a righteousness. Righteousness is a big word, but so is frappuccino and mayonnaise. And you use those a lot, okay? So we're going to learn something. What is righteousness? What does that mean? Rightness. That's how I learned it as a kid. Rightness. It is your rightness before God. Your standing, your earning, what you are worth. And, and there's something that's happening here. We would say that we would never use the word righteousness, or I don't understand that, or that's deep theology for me. Okay, um, anybody ever filled out and put together a resume for a job? Raise your hand. Anybody? Yep. That's your righteousness. I'm this good. This is what I offer. For some of us, it's a job resume. For some of us, it's a house. It's whatever it is, Right? It's to be married. It's the, it's the, pref, it's the prefix before the name. It, it doesn't matter. It's a rightness. And everywhere in our life, we are constantly trying to prove our worthness. That's why anytime that you feel threatened in a conversation, you need to pause and you need to ask yourself, why am I defensive? 
Because what somebody has done is they have bumped into your righteousness, your rightness, right? Um, this is also called marriage, right? <laughs> right? Why, why, why is that? Because pr- I've got to, right? Um, growing up as a kid, my, my dad had this really cool thing that anytime that we wanted to rent a movie like Ninja Turtles or something like that, we had to watch a classic. So I grew up watching On the Waterfront, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, East of Eden, um, all of these just great classic movies. But one movie in particular that I remember is the Anthony Hopkins movie, The Elephant Man. I don't know if you've seen this or not. Um, But The Elephant Man is a true story about Joseph Merrick. Joseph Merrick was born with deformities and um, sort of like elephantitis is where we get this from and all kinds of things that took place. He was abandoned, spent time in a circus. I mean, it was just a brutal, brutal story. And Anthony Hopkins plays the doctor that, that does something counterintuitive to science. Um, they were trying to examine and do all these things, and this doctor um, befriended Joseph Merrick. And, and as he saw and built a relationship, he saw this beast um, become a man through, through relationship. But there's this beautiful scene where, where Joseph Merrick is dressed in a suit, and Anthony Hopkins, the doctor, has invited him to his home. And Anthony Hopkins' wife walks into the room and sees Joseph Merrick greatly disfigured and, and says, Oh, Mr. Merrick, I am so pleased to meet you. I am pleased to meet you. And Joseph Merrick begins to weep and bawl. And she goes, I'm so sorry. Have I done something? And he says this. Oh, and it just kills you. I've never had anyone say that they were pleased with me. What's going on in the movie? Joseph Merrick's disfigured on the outside. But what does he represent? How we feel on the inside. Nobody's ever been pleased with me. And then he sits down on the couch and he pulls out a picture of his mother who abandoned him, left him for dead. And he pulls out a picture and he begins to speak about his mother and then he says this, Oh, if only my mother could see me now with the friends I have, then she would want me. Oh, what is that? That is a righteousness that is trying to prove my acceptance and my worth. And what we see in baptism and what the New Testament writers describe is this, the Apostle Paul. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, Jesus, were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. This is good news. One of the most descriptive terms of a New Testament believer in the Bible, in the New Testament, is in Christ. In Christ. In Christ. What does that mean? That means the words that were spoken of Jesus at his baptism, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, are the very words that God speaks over to professing believers in their life. I have written in the margin of my Bible, in Christ, this is true for me. That is the identity. Nothing that we've done, but God blesses and speaks over it. So what does this mean practically? It means this, that there is nothing else. There is nothing else that can be done for God to love you more or for God to love you less in Christ. That is good news. Because I don't know about you, but the butter slides off my biscuit every day of the week, and I drop the ball constantly. 
And by the way, how's it going for those of you who are like, well, I'm just going to pray harder, read my Bible more, do this, get involved and do this. How's that going? See, you're either working from a place of love and identity or you were working for that love and identity. I see the rhythm, I see the righteousness, and the last thing I see is this. I see a reminder. You see, what, what we see historically within the church is that um, on today, people who are passing through the waters of baptism, it is not a passive thing for those of you who have been baptized and are sitting in the pews today. Um, you know, one of the most familiar commands that God gives his people is remember. Remember. Remember what I've done. Remember what I've done. And so when we see these people pass through the waters of baptism today, it's almost like um, a marriage renewal and the renewal of vows, right? People who've been married for a long extended period of time have that renewal. The covenant and the blessing is there, but it's a recommitment of what we've done so many years ago. I love the way that Martin Luther, the Protestant reformer, said it. He said that when the enemy reminds you of your past, remind the enemy of what happened in baptism, the blessing and the speaking, a, a pillar in a moment that you can go back to and go because of what Jesus did upon the cross. And, and, and a lot of times what we think is that when somebody stands in the waters of baptism, what they proclaim is, this is how much I love God. And that's a part of it. That's totally true. But listen, this thing is so one-sided. It's not about your love for God as much as it is God's initiating love for you. And so what it looks like today is when somebody stands there in those waters and they stand there, they stand condemned. It is the physical representation of Jesus Christ being there up on the cross. Death. For the wages of sin is death. And then just like Jesus died and was buried in the earth, they go into a watery grave. And the words are spoken, my brother or sister, upon your public profession of faith, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried in the likeness of his death. And then the first words that they hear when they come out of that water is raised in the likeness of his resurrection. That is good news. So what does all of this mean for us? What I see is this, when we compare and contrast this, that in baptism, we get the blessing for the battle. That's what I see. I think many of us feel like we're living here and we've never passed through here. There's a rhythm to what God has done for us. I'll close with this. Um, I played golf in high school and mostly what made me get into golf was this man in 1997, Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods won the Masters at a very young age, 1997, put on the green jacket. It's incredible to see what that guy did as an athlete. But the moment that was the most famous was when the Tiger Woods walked off the 18th green and there was his father, Earl Woods. Earl had been known as a very heavy-handed dad. And Tiger and Earl Woods embraced and hugged. Tiger wept. And Earl, later on, we would know from a Sports Illustrated article, spoke into his son's ear, I love you. I am so proud of you. It was the hug heard round the world, as ESPN said. Very beautiful moment. Transcended culture and everything. Then Tiger um, fell into a little bit of controversy. His career and people didn't know if he still had the eye of the tiger and this, that, and the other. Until last year, when Tiger Woods made it to the Masters again, one of the greatest comebacks in sports history, won the green jacket. 
But this time, as he stepped off the 18th green, Earl wasn't there. Earl had long passed away. But Tiger's son was there. And there was the embrace. And there was a moment that was so iconic that almost mirrored what happened two decades before. What we saw was a father blessing a son. And then we see the blessing was carried over. And the son now blesses his son. Why, why does this transcend cultures? Because I would argue this, that this is what every human being longs for, is the love and the acceptance that God offers us in the person of Jesus Christ. And we see this today. So when these people come out of this water today, this isn't just some golf clap. We're celebrating the love of God made visible through the waters of baptism. So what I want us to do is I want us to stand to our feet and I want us to say this prayer together today as a reminder for those of us who have passed through the waters of baptism and renew these vows today. Westside, lift your voices out loud. Heavenly Father, at the baptism of Jesus, you revealed him to be your son and your Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. Grant that we who are born again by water and the Spirit may be faithful as your adopted children through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you today, and as we look at the baptism and the temptation of Jesus Christ, we see that you offer a blessing that prepares us for this battle that the world offers. God, I pray that for us in here today that we would be renewed in what you have done for us. God, we pray for these people that are passing through the waters of baptism today. We pray that you would keep them and bless them and that your face shines upon them. Holy Spirit, have your way with us. We pray this all in the holy and in the precious name of Jesus Christ.